The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Happy Mother's Day. It's good timing, you know, beginning, uh, I'll probably talk for a couple of weeks on generosity and and really the example of a mother or even the example of a tree. These are really powerful symbols for us understanding what generosity is. Because in its essence, you know, as a spiritual practice, the reason generosity is the first and the last teaching the Buddha gives. right? So people just getting interested in living a more spiritual life, teachings about generosity are the first teachings that were given back then, 2,600 years ago. And then when practitioners, nuns and monks finished their practice and they were fully, what's called fully awakened, then the last instruction the Buddha would give is, go out into the world. Don't take the same road. Go in different directions for the good of the many, for the service of whoever you bump into and can share what you've learned. So live a life of service. That was the last instruction the Buddha gave. Give your life away for the benefit of all. And the reason why dana, D-A-N-A, generosity, is so central to the spiritual life, and I, you know, I don't think it's specific to Buddhism, is you see that even in ordinary moments of being patient with one of your friends or your cat or your dog, just like hanging in there with somebody where you have the impulse to sort of move on, but you you realize that this generous impulse to just hang in there is feels good. And you see, it's how we wear out the sense of self-centeredness, right? It's like stepping out of that constricted sense of self. Now, of course, I'm not a mother or a parent, but uh, a lot of you, I'm sure, are. And you know that like one of the ways in human life, powerful way where we, you know, unavoidably step out of our more narrow self-centered dramas is we have kids. And all of a sudden our life can't just be about my likes, my dislikes, what I want, what I don't want. And we submit to the wider community of our family and their needs. And it's just interesting, you know, because, uh, you know, we all know what it's like to have these sort of significant responsibilities, to some degree at least. And we know the difference between when everything I have to do feels, you know, is really coming out of this stingy place. What about me? And when we more fully embrace the responsibilities and aren't resisting them. And it doesn't, it, it's not like the second scenario where we're embracing our duties and responsibilities means that we're neglecting our needs. You know, we part of really embracing duties and responsibilities, what the world is asking from us, is knowing how to take care of ourselves so we can give more fully, more completely, more continuously. So actually living a generous life requires that we know how to listen to our own needs and how to respond to them generously. Oh, you need to 
I need to put you to bed. I need to feed you. You know, I need to, you need some happiness medicine. You know, we need to watch something funny. That's what you need. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we chant the five remembrances right at the beginning. So I'm sure many of you remember this. It's a powerful chant, something the Buddha said we should reflect on every day. So I'll go through it. Just keep this in mind. I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. I am the owner of my karma. My intentional actions lay down an impression on my my heart. I am heir to those impressions, born out of those tendencies that have been laid down in my heart. I'm related to them. I abide supported by my karma. Whatever intentional actions of thought, word, and body that I do, for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. Thus, we should frequently recollect. And so when we take in that fourth reflection, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. You see, it's like remembering every day, the Buddha saying, remember every day that as nice as it is to have a really wonderful home and a means of transportation that's reliable and this and that, as nice as that is, and it's nice, you know, we wouldn't wish on any of us that we don't have the basics, basic comforts in life. But none of it is dependable. That's the point. So knowing that we're living with none of these comforts being dependable, what is our refuge? And this last reflection on karma, that all day long, based on the intentions, the quality of our intentions and motivations, we're laying down impressions on the sensitive heart. So this heart right now, this mind and heart right now, it is the cumulative impressions that have been laid down in the past. There's a, I think, funny in some ways, but very profound teaching point or way of teaching in in Buddhism uh, around karma. And it goes something like this. You know, you want to know the past, you know, were you in a previous life Cleopatra or something like that? You know, you want to know who you were in the past? Well, the quality of your heart and mind right now, this is the perfect expression of the past. Where else did all these tendencies that I have in my personality come from? They are the lawful continuation of all the past impressions that have been laid down. There's nowhere else for this personality, these, this set of tendencies to have come from, except from impressions that were laid down in the mind stream in the past. And uh, the reason I bring this up, you know, as we start to dig into these 10 beautiful qualities, the paramis, the first being dana, generosity. In a couple of weeks, we'll pick up sila, 
this sort of deep and resonant commitment to non-harming virtue, morality. So as we go through them, we want to understand that this is how we create a heart, uh, you know, a heart in the sense of our personality, the tendencies of our own mind and heart that we trust, that is a, can be some ground of ordinary happiness. We have to lay down those impressions. So in terms of the study for the next couple of weeks, when we're really being a student of generosity, we really want to look in real time when I'm being stingy, we want to notice what's the impression that gets left behind. Okay, I was a little stingy in that interaction with that person. You know, I took the bigger piece of pie or whatever it might be, you know. I mean, even, you know, some places are self-serve and, uh, you know, you go in with your little piece of wax paper and you're going to take the croissant you want. And it's just interesting, you know, it's like, oh, there's a bigger one. I'm taking the bigger one. Well, that means somebody's not getting that bigger one because you're getting it. I'm not saying you shouldn't take the bigger croissant or whatever cookie, you know, you might be taking at the bakery. But in terms of our practice, if in that moment of taking it, the mind, the quality of the mind was colored with stinginess, then the practice isn't to hate ourselves. The practice is to get curious about well, what sort of impression has been laid down in my heart. Like, who have I now become, having taken the bigger one? Now, you might leave the bigger one and take the smaller one because you think you don't deserve it. Well, that lays down something on your heart, too. Or you may take the, the smaller croissant because you want somebody else to have the bigger one. That may leave a really nice impression on your heart. But in all these little ways, you know, we're walking down the sidewalk and there's a piece of trash. Oh, you know, there's no garbage can around. I'll leave it for someone else to pick up. You know, the neighbor who's got a trash can in their yard, they can do it. I live four blocks away. I'm not going to pick it up. You know, and I do that all the time. I leave trash on the ground. But in terms of our study these next couple of weeks, when we're looking at generosity, what did I just do to the heart stream, the mind stream? What impression was laid down? Is that the kind of impression... Am I becoming the kind of person I want to become? Is it a pleasant kind of person to be <laughs> with these sort of tendencies in the mind? You know, another way to, to think about this is like those stingy people, including ourselves, were we happy then when we were stingy? Those generous people we bumped into, I mean, that felt seemed authentically generous. Did they seem happy? You know, that's the question. Because... <clears throat> you know, in early Buddhist teachings, we're not leaving happiness to somebody else's. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's our responsibility. And these 10 qualities that we're looking at, starting with generosity, these are the direct and most effective, most productive way to become happy. Just in that ordinary sense, not even, I mean, ultimately in the deepest spiritual sense, the happiness of the heart released from any kind of grasping. Right? That's in in Buddhist terminology in early Buddhism, full awakening is the cessation, the dropping away of the grip of all attachment, all craving, all holding, 
right? But even before that more profound kind of letting go, we really start to learn about letting go with these ordinary acts of generosity. And so whether you're a parent, a mother or not, you know, there's all kinds of ways when we're in traffic, even how we interact with the checkout person, the clerks that are we're purchasing things at a store. You know, is our way of showing up like that full, generous, here's another human being with her own collection of suffering and happiness, right? Can I show up in a way that's generous? Even if it's just a 20-second interaction, what would a generous way of being here? Or when I'm brushing my teeth, what would the generous way of brushing my teeth be versus the stingy way? And do I notice the difference? What's the effect of orienting, trusting generosity versus any of our, any of our habitual habits of being stingy or holding back? Or even being manipulative and strategic like, how can I get what I want. Another way to work with uh, teachings on generosity is, you know, it's really about stepping out of our limited frame of mind. I like how uh, in the Buddhist cosmology, you know, it's not as a reality, although who knows, we don't know the reality of cosmology, but as a metaphor or as a myth, it's really useful. So there are hell realms, right? And sometimes we're in a hell realm. And when we're in a hell realm, we're just hurting so much, we just flail about. That's kind of what defines a hell realm, meaning our response to the pain is painful. That's when we're in a hell realm, right? Anybody been in one of those realms? Yeah, we all have. Because there are times when whatever's happening to us is so overwhelming that our response is to do stuff that doesn't help at all, that just makes it worse. And that's kind of the definition of a hell realm. And then uh, another realm of existence, you know, metaphorically or whatever, in the early Buddhist tradition is then being a hungry ghost, where we have a lot of appetite, a lot of desire, but very little means to quench the desire. So we're hungry, needy all the time. And we, we get just enough of a taste to know that our hunger hasn't been appeased, you know. And so we've been in those states. You know, you go to a good friend's house and they got everything right. The perfect partner, the perfect home, the perfect car, the perfect cell phone, perfect clothes, the perfect personality, the perfect body. And we just want, want, want. And needy, needy, needy. And sometimes, you know, we've all been there. I've been there. We've all been there. We'll be there again. But we want to just recognize that, like, that's the realm, that's my reality right now. And it, that reality comes out of an attitude or a frame, a way of, viewing and constructing the moment. We participate in the moment through our attitude, through the way we relate. 
another realm of existence was the animal realm. And the, you know, just the way that's sort of talked about just metaphorically is the animal realm, that's you and me, when our mind is sort of dominated by instinct, the instinct to survive, the instinct to mate, you know, the instinct to hide. And it's just a very limited way of being. Just everything is about survival. And then there's the warring gods realm, which is sort of interesting. You know, this is uh, where people have a lot of power or beings have a lot of power, have a lot of privilege, have a lot of comforts, but they notice those who have more than them. So their minds are dominated with envy and they're always trying to, you know, it's depicted as they're in this really nice place on the side of a mountain, but they notice who's higher up on the mountain has better views, <laughs> more refined existence. And they want that. And they totally aren't able to enjoy the comforts that they have because beings would be totally obsessed with having more. And it's its own kind of hell realm, this warring God realm. So the interesting thing about even ordinary acts of generosity is it pulls us out of those realities that we often inhabit. Because even if I'm you know, in a place where I don't have a lot of resources, I'm not wealthy, I'm, I might be old and sick even. I might have a lot of so-called problems. But I become, I, I sort of enter this exalted and beautiful state right here, right now, when I just feed my cat in the morning, generously pet my cat in the morning, right? In that moment, my heart isn't trying to get, it's in this place of giving. And this is the thing we, we really want to resolve, and you should do it now because you'll forget afterward. Really resolve to be interested in what it feels like when you're in those ordinary acts of giving. How can it become like it's really, uh, you know, in the, in the same cosmology, you know, when you get to the nth degree out there, there are these beings that are so refined, they're just pure love. They don't even have a body, it's just love. And they exist in those Brahma-Vihara realms, those realms of loving-kindness and compassion, appreciative joy, balance, equanimity, for long, long, many, many eons of world expansion and contraction, right? So they live, we live, maybe we've been in those realms, cycling through them, who knows? But in just a moment of generosity, a moment of real love as a generous gift, or a moment of restraint, holding back because we care and we don't want to cause harm. We want to, we want to really feel into the wholesomeness of that, the trustworthiness of that, and the pleasure of that realm, that state of mind that we're at least in that moment inhabiting. We don't want to miss it because by noticing it is how we gather the energy. Remember in Ajahn Sushito's book, and I, I put in the chat um, the two books that if you want more background, one is you can get for free online because it's written by a Buddhist monk and they give away things freely. 
That's sweet. You can also donate to the monastery if you want. But, um, and that's that book by Ajahn Sushito. But he just describes the, this is just in the tradition, where we need to initiate our interest in generosity. That's sort of what the talk is about today. Like, can I become the person who's actually interested? You're not doing this on faith. You're really checking it out. Interested is generosity. Could generosity be a substantial cause for happiness in my life? Not theoretical happiness, actual happiness, trustworthy happiness, bankable happiness, right? This is what we're sort of initiating this interest. And then we go about gathering. That's the next stage. We're sort of gathering evidence and confidence. Oh my God, it delivers. (laughs) It's a way. It's something to do with my life. Learning in all these little ordinary places how to be a more generous person. And even when you're driving and somebody's at the corner asking for money or food or whatever, you know, and let's say you're not going to give anything for whatever reason that that makes sense, you can still have a generous interaction with that person. You can wish them well, whether you do it verbally directly to the person or, you know, you don't have time to stop or you don't have that interaction. But you can feel that, like, may you be safe. I really want you to be happy and safe in your life. There is nothing ever that can get in the way of living generously. Even if we're in the most miserable situation, we can be, we can have a generous relationship to that misery that we may be, may be caught in. So it's really important that we understand that the Buddha teaches generosity as the proximate cause for happiness. Because <clears throat> this will remove that, that, you know, should, I should be more generous. Good people are generous. I should be generous. And it becomes a cause for suffering because it's all about this idea of should and trying to become. And that is a flavor of craving. You know, in early Buddhism, any kind of becoming energy, even wanting to become enlightened or awakened, that craving isn't the cause for awakening. It's a cause for suffering and tension. The cause for awakening is seeing things as they are. And in this particular training, we're seeing the effects of dana, of generosity. You know, in the uh, monastic tradition, they shave their heads and they live with very few possessions, as many of you know. Generally, they'll have one meal a day or a small breakfast and then their main meal late morning. And then in the early Buddhist tradition, they don't have food after midday. I mean, they might have tea with some uh, sugar in it or something like that, but no substantial food past midday. And they just have a few robes. And it's like vulnerability on purpose, right? So living with uh, very little on purpose and being dependent. So it's like the Buddha set up the monastic life to be modeled after this reciprocal principle that's really at the bottom of all living systems. Right, so nature, the sort of fundamental principle, nature, even just like the nature of how this planet and life on this planet operates, is these 
these multiple interacting circles of reciprocity. That's just how it all works. So part of aligning, like learning about generosity, is we're going away, we're going out of this sort of egoic sense of a me who's trying to survive, which is a very narrow point of view frame of reference, to in a way seeing and abiding with these cycles of reciprocity, of giving and receiving. And so can we, it doesn't mean like outwardly our life may not look differently when we start to study generosity in this way. We may do many of the same things, say many of the same things, but the internal quality of our heart and mind might change radically. So a lot of it might be reimagining like when we go to work in terms of the attitude and quality and the way I'm framing it, that could radically change. But what I do when I'm at work may outwardly look the same. Can it be felt and seen as the circle of giving and receiving freely? Generously showing up, all in, saying yes. And remember, saying yes doesn't mean we're just submissive. We can say yes to the impulse to speak the truth. This moment needs the truth. And for whatever reason, I hope part of the truth, so I should speak up. Not speaking up would not be, would be stingy. I'm holding back because I'm afraid. I'm speaking up as an act of generosity. And I'm being generous to the moment and all of us here in the moment. And this is how we become healthy as a community. Everybody showing up. You know, we have all these cliches takes a village, was that Hillary Clinton's book she wrote way back when? But uh, but there's some deep truths, and we don't want to live on the level of cliché, we really want to ground it in terms of our actual experience. How is the, like, how can I align with the circle of giving and receiving, and what, who do I become as I do that more and more? I don't know if anybody has read, I have read, uh, Dorothy Bryant is a, an author from the Bay Area, uh, way back in the 80s when I lived in San Francisco and in Berkeley. Um, I read some of her books, The Kin of Atta Are Waiting For You, I think was one. It's a great book. Uh, I'll just mention a few features in that book. One is, they I, the people, you know, it's sort of a make-believe group of people, and they kind of hibernate in the winter and they all sleep heads toward the center and they have a shared dream for that period of time. I love that idea. But the piece I wanted to share with everyone was uh, I'm remembering that they had some sort of ritual around eating where it was like uncool to feed yourself. So like whenever it was time to eat, you know, people would have a bowl and a spoon, but you'd feed other people. It would be sort of uncouth to eat, feed yourself in that way. And I, I really like that idea. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, just uh, a ritualizing generosity, you know, every three times a day or twice a day, however many times you eat, you know, if you're hungry, you, you're sort of receiving somebody who's willing to feed you. And that's, that's really the reci- reciprocity that's built into the monastic tradition. 
because in the early Buddhist tradition, monks and nuns can't grow food, can't really collect food. I think there are a few exceptions, like if a mango falls from a tree, you know, I think you might be able to pick it up and eat it if it's like, if it's not, the tree doesn't belong to anybody. But there are very few exceptions. Basically, the nuns and monks, they walk around once a day with their bowls and they can't even ask for food. They just stand there in front of a home, meditating, chanting, sending out love in all directions, right? So they're giving and they're really creating like their generosity is creating this opportunity for the lay people to give because that's really good for the lay people to give. So that's a gift to them and then they receive. So it's just a simple act of reciprocity. And of course, the monks and nuns, they're willing to teach and that allows sort of lay people who are in the business of raising their families and surviving and running the town and things like that, they get to be part of the goodness of these people who are sort of full-time spiritual seekers, the monks and nuns. Even, you know, another ritual in in Buddhism, this is from the Zen tradition, way back when, I think it was the uh, Minneapolis Institute of Arts had a wonderful um, exhibit on Zen art and they had a little film there about Aheji, which is the monastery that Dogen, one of the great Buddhist saints uh, who brought Buddhism, Zen Buddhism from China to Japan back maybe around the 13th century. But anyway, there, a monastery got established. And one of the rituals, you know, when they would get their water out of the stream, before they would drink it or use it to wash, they'd give some of it back to the stream. And just like, of course, you can think, oh, that's stupid. Then you just got to scoop out more. But it's really about how do we keep the attitude of generosity in mind? And you can just find ways to do it. And they can be as creative or offbeat as you want them to be. You know, you make a nice meal for lunch with your sandwich. And before you do anything, you just break off a little bit of the bread and you walk out to the backyard and you put the breadcrumbs in the bird feeder and you happily share some of your meal with the birds. You know, something like that. And it's it's not about like, the key about generosity is what's good about it is the intention to give. Now, that those breadcrumbs might benefit the birds because part of what makes the intention to give useful is you're imagining the beings that are going to give it. You're imagining that the gift you're giving is actually something that's useful, helpful for them, right? And the intention is good. So all those aspects really go into creating the impact on our heart and then, of course, on the wider world. And of course, you know, as we initiate this practice around generosity and gather the confidence and the creative ways, you know, in our ordinary life with the duties and responsibilities that we have in our lives, what is generosity going to look like? Because we don't want to cultivate this sort of contrived idea of generosity or like 
cultivating generosity that looks like generosity to other people, like it can be totally stealth. People may not have any idea that we're generous, right? Because it's really about this inner quality of the heart. Like, what can I give? What is the moment asking? What would be useful? What would be the right way and the right time to give? What is the best quality of heart to give with? What beings to contribute to? All in the service of creating this inner environment, you know, this mind stream that is really trustworthy and feels good. And I think it's really okay to think about this interest in generosity as a way of taking care of ourselves. Because, you know, often, at least in the West, we think of generosity as the giver giving to those who need. But that's really the wrong or a, certainly a limited uh, and spiritually not helpful way to think about it. Because we have to really connect the giving and benefiting of others with the transformation of our own heart and the goodness of our own heart. And that's how we participate. In the same way, you know, you could say that, you know, the oak tree um, is being really manipulative. You know, it, it produces all of those acorns, you know, and somehow it convinced the squirrels, you know, to take all those acorns and uh, the diluted squirrels, they bury a lot of acorns and then they forget where they are and those acorns turn out to grow into oak trees and then more acorns. And it's just, uh, the oak trees are just manipulating all of those beings, those crafty oak trees. Or is it that the oak trees are being generous? They're just concerned with giving. Well, it's really the circle, that's the point. It's like understanding that these circles of reciprocity is what holds everything together. So as we become a more generous person, we're just aligning with the deeper truth. We're sort of using the teachings and the practices around generosity to step out of our limited, self-centered, egoic, survival-based frames of reference and really participating on more of a Gaia level, Earth level of uh, like the... You know, it's really aligning with nature because that's how nature works. You know, the water flows down the side of the mountain into lakes and streams and eventually back into the ocean. A lot of the water that falls from, you know, with the rain has been evaporated from the big lakes and oceans. And that's another one of those circles of reciprocity. There's nothing that we interact here interact with here that isn't part of that so for those who can stay for the small groups or if you're able to uh, have a conversation later in the week as you do more study really start to map out these ordinary small places where you can experiment with the happiness of giving and really start to see the uh, the circle like that the giving is good and the receiving is good, the change in the heart, the impression in the heart is good, because this is how we gather the power 
of living with this attitude of generosity. And as I've mentioned in the past two talks, when we started on these paramis, the Ten Beautiful Qualities, any one of these paramis leads to all the others. So you'll see all the other qualities start to manifest as you get interested in generosity. So we're going to end our time today before we have small groups with just the sharing of the merit. And I'm just encouraging you to try it every day before you go to bed, where you sit down or you lie in your bed and you just take a couple minutes and you remember all the goodness in your life. Like we can start right now and just recall, you know what? It's really wholesome that we came here to this program today. I'm not saying it's the most wholesome thing you've ever done. I'm just saying when human beings gather like we're gathered right now, reflecting about the nature of our mind and heart and how to be good folks, that's a good thing. And we want to be aware that it's a good thing. And all the other moments of generosity and refraining from acting out unskillfully, that is also good. Being good mothers, that's a powerful act of generosity, of goodness. And we want to offer all this goodness, all the blessings in our lives to our mothers, to all of our benefactors, all those who have really been there for us in our lives. May the blessings of my life be a cause for real happiness and safety and support for all my loved ones and for all beings. Nobody, no one left out. May I always live for the benefit of all beings. May this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.